Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, we look at Title IX. It's not just about women's collegiate sports. Changes to the landmark law are in the works. We talk with a law professor, a Title IX officer, and an anti-women's violence group about what the changes could mean for universities. Investigations will be limited to things that happen on campus or in campus-related activities. On January 5th, Bernice Sandler died at the age of 90. The woman who earned her Ph.D. in the late 60s may not be known to everyone, but to women in higher education, she's the godmother of Title IX. After having trouble getting a job because she was seen as, quote, just a housewife who went back to school, she launched a movement that in 1972 resulted in the passage of Title IX, the federal law that prohibits sex discrimination at education institutions that receive federal funding. The U.S. Department of Education is now proposing changes to the law. University of Arizona law professor Tammy Walker says the definition or common understanding of what constitutes sex discrimination has changed in the decades since Title IX was originally passed, and the proposed changes from Education Secretary Betsy DeVos would once again alter that definition. Under the Obama administration and what's called a, the 2011 Dear Colleague Letter, we had a broader definition of uh, sexual harassment. So it basically it was any sort of unwanted sexual conduct. These proposed regulations actually narrow that definition. And they do it by saying that this unwanted sexual conduct essentially has to be objectively bad. When we say objectively bad, who's setting the objectives? Because what you think is bad or what I think is bad, or what one of our listeners think is bad may be different. Right. So that's one of the issues that we're going to see with this regulation. We have no idea what it means for something to be objectively, let's say, severe. We don't have a common definition of unwanted sexual behavior. So for example, when it comes to definitions, even at the criminal level for each of the states, we don't have a common definition of what rape is or what sexual assault is or what sexual abuse is. So to say that something has to be objectively severe, that's going to be something that we're going to need more guidance on from the Department of Education and that we don't yet have. When it comes to these changes, I could see why some people would say that's a bad change. It's objective, I understand, uh, but some people would say that's a bad change. Are there good changes? Because as society changes and grows, you know, a law that was written in the 70s might need some tweaking. Well, I definitely would say that the intent of the legislation is good, meaning um, there is an acknowledgment that we do need a clear definition of what is covered under Title IX. And so that is the intent of the legislation, to try to provide a more clear definition of the types of behavior that we would be prohibited pursuant to Title IX. So, for example, um, any sort of quid pro quo sexual harassment is, is prohibited under this proposed regulation. Any sort of sexual assault as defined by the FBI is prohibited under this legislation. Any sort of unwelcome conduct on the basis of sex that is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it effectively denies a person equal access to the school's educational program or activity is prohibited. And it's that really the idea of what is sexual assault and what is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that we're going to need more um, clarification on. But the idea that we need a common definition or a clear definition is a good place to start. And does this apply just to students or does it apply to faculty and staff members, the larger university community, if you will? 
It applies to the larger university community, largely because, as I said, Title IX prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in education. So that could be if you are an employee, if you're a faculty member, Title IX could apply to you. Um, It applies to, um, according to the courts, uh, harassment or sexual misconduct between a a faculty member and a student or between students. So yeah, there's a broader definition than what we normally think of as just sexual misconduct on campus. It's it's broader than just, for example, um, date rape or sexual assault between students. We're talking with Tammy Walker. She's a professor at the University of Arizona's James E. Rogers College of Law. We've seen a lot of talk about sexual harassment, especially the last year or so with the Me Too movement. How do these proposed changes fit in with the Me Too movement? Well, I would not say that these proposed changes are in some ways uh, consistent with what we have thought about in terms of the definition of what unwanted sexual behavior is. Again, we have a definition in these proposed regulations that is relatively narrow as compared to what's been discussed as part of the Me Too movement. That said, I think where it is consistent is with the possible effect on those who have been accused of uh, sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. The stated purpose of these proposed regulations is really to try to bring uh, a more balanced sense of fairness to the process and to make sure that those people who are accused have a, a greater sense of due process. So in that way, I think it is responding to those people who feel that the Me Too movement has been too harsh or has been too punitive to those people who are accused of sexual misconduct as opposed to those who are accusing somebody else of sexual misconduct. And these proposed rules, if again, if people aren't familiar, if assumingly a man is accused of sexual harassment or sexual assault, a, a violation of Title IX, under the proposed rules, he now has the right to confront in a judicial or, or quasi-judicial setting his accuser. And that's a, that's a big change, isn't it? It is in some sense. So before these proposed regulations, essentially, what we had is the idea that everyone is entitled to due process. And there's a broad definition of what that is. We most often think of due process in terms of criminal proceedings. And so we're most familiar with that. Because that is such a harsh potential remedy or consequence, meaning you could have your your liberty deprived from, you could have your life taken from you, the state then has to give you the most extreme protections, meaning you are entitled to have the opportunity for an attorney. You are entitled to have an opportunity to say why the state should not ta- take these actions against you, essentially. But in situations where the potential consequence is not as severe as it is in, with a criminal proceeding, those things to which people are entitled when it comes to protections or procedures are significantly less. And so when we're talking about an educational situation, you're not necessarily talking about depriving somebody of uh, their their liberty. They're not the, the consequence that a university can impose is not, for example, jail or prison. So you're not entitled to the same protections that you would be if we were talking about a criminal proceeding. And the Supreme Court in an earlier case, really only said that in a hearing where you are subject to discipline by the university or subject to discipline by educational institution, the school only had to give you some sort of notice and some sort of hearing. And it really didn't define what that meant. The goal of these proposed regulations is to give more concrete measure of what it means to have due process pursuant to Title IX. So according to these new proposed regulations, the hearing has to be live. 
So prior to this, these proposed regulations, the uh, decision could be made based on um, written documents. It could be that, um, uh, that the investigator could collect all of this evidence and make a decision without necessarily having a, uh, a face-to-face meeting or talking with people who were accused of sexual misconduct. These news proposed regulations basically say that when there is a formal complaint, then the school must provide a live hearing and when that live hearing occurs, the accused student then must have the opportunity to cross-examine their accuser. But that does not mean that they get to cross-examine them directly. What the proposed legislation is suggesting is that somebody um, who is representing those parties, essentially, will be able to question each other. And it's not inherently a bad thing. The ability for someone to be cross-examined, there are some people who say that will make women less likely to report sexual misconduct. There's already a lot of stigma on it. This just makes it that much more difficult. Is that a realistic concern? I think the answer to that is yes and no. Um, What I mean by that is I don't think when people are thinking about whether to report that they're thinking about individual policies and procedures. I think it's really the system as a whole that people have to have trust and confidence in before they're going to be willing to take their problems or willing to report things to that system, right? I think that there are many aspects of this discussion and many aspects of the proposed regulations that will have a cooling effect on the extent to which people are willing to report sexual misconduct. We already know a lot about the barriers to reporting. Among those barriers are things like the victim believes that their allegation won't be taken seriously enough, or they're not sure themselves if what happened to them was serious, or they fear that um, they will not be believed or that they will be treated poorly. Some of the discussion that has led to these proposed regulations will kind of uh, confirm that belief, meaning um, one of the the proposed regulations is um, that schools will be encouraged, they will have the choice, but they will be encouraged to have a higher standard of proof. Under the Obama administration, the standard of proof in sexual misconduct cases was the preponderance of the evidence. So if you're thinking about that in terms of a percentage, that's really just sort of like a 51% out of 100 type um, idea. When we think about the criminal proceeding, we're talking about beyond a reasonable doubt. It's really hard to attach a percentage to that, but we're talking more about like the the 90s, you know, like there's no real reasonable doubt that this person is is guilty or has committed this crime or that the, the evidence suggests that this person has committed this crime. What these new proposed regulations are suggesting is that schools consider implementing the clear and convincing evidence standard. That is a standard that falls between the preponderance of the evidence standard and the beyond a reasonable doubt standard that you see in criminal cases. So what that means is, People who were already skeptical about whether their what happened to them was serious enough to be reported to the university are then going to question if the school institutes a higher standard. Well, even if it would have been serious before, perhaps it's even less serious. Perhaps I'll be more evidence. I don't have it. And so therefore, I will not report. Very complicated subject. Thanks for sitting down with us and trying to shed some light on it. Thank you so much for having me. That was Tammy Walker, a professor at the University of Arizona's James E. Rogers College of Law. The Department of Education is seeking public comment on the proposed changes for another week. This week we're talking about the history of Title IX and what proposed changes from the U.S. Department of Education could mean for universities. In October 2018, Ron Wilson was hired to lead a new Title IX office at the University of Arizona. 
That office will be responsible for providing education, awareness, and training to students, staff, and faculty, as well as investigating complaints and ensuring the university is in compliance with federal guidelines. Wilson says UA President Robert Robbins wants an individual dedicated to Title IX. At many universities, there's one person who will wear multiple hats, and oftentimes uh, those hats uh, do not come with any funding or resources. So here, the president has uh, made a commitment not only to um, having personnel fully funded and available, but also creating an office whose responsibility it will be to coordinate uh, all investigations, ensure that we're in full compliance, and ensure that all of the various constituency groups receive prevention, education, and training around Title IX. When you were talking with the president about taking this job and after you took the job, what were his thoughts on creating a single office? That's new for the university. Was there something that particularly worried him about the climate of the campus, or did he just see something lacking? I think the president, quite frankly, was excited about my background and uh, my previous experience working in this space as well as in uh, other areas related to civil rights, uh, social justice, restorative justice. As you know, uh, prior to working in higher education, I was the chief presiding judge for the city of South Tucson for over a decade. And in that capacity, I worked at the national and international level um, creating problem-solving courts to address the root causes behind why people commit low-level offenses. What he noticed was that, and based on my experience and background, there was an opportunity here for us to be proactive, for us to be part of the solution, for us to be innovative and creative, and, and possibly be a national benchmark in terms of Title IX and how the university addresses Title IX-related matters on the campus. When it comes to Title IX, I think a lot of people think about sports and, and student-athletes. But as you mentioned, it's much wider than that, and it applies to faculty, staff, really anybody at the university, correct? Correct. Absolutely. So historically, when I was younger and maybe when you were younger as well, you recall that the focus of Title IX was on gender equity in athletics. And that still is one of the prongs or it's one side of the Title IX coin. The university has a commitment, a continued commitment to ensure that there is equity in our athletic department. The other side of the coin is the sexual misconduct, discrimination, and harassment. And that's received a lot more attention over the past several years for a variety of reasons. But the university has a commitment both to uh, the gender equity and athletics component as well as the uh, sexual misconduct. It's important that our students have a safe learning environment, that they feel included, and that they have an opportunity to participate equally with males in a variety of um, spaces, including athletics. We're talking with Ron Wilson, the University of Arizona's Title IX director. When it comes to the University of Arizona, and granted, you've only had this job since the end of October, there was a report that there were 16 probes in the UA Athletics Department over a six-year period, 2012 to 2018. We have federal lawsuits dealing with Title IX right now, which I know you can't talk about. But when you look at the university in the short time you've been here, overall, 
how are we doing? Those numbers sound big, but compared to other institutions, how are they? We're doing well. We can always do better. One of the things that excites me about the university is its transparency. It's always the cover-up that gets people in trouble. It's always trying to make excuses rather than holding yourself or others accountable that gets institutions in trouble. And what I've found in the past 60 days is that everybody that I've contacted or worked with is excited about the future um, and is very willing to collaborate and partner with me in a way to ensure that this campus is safe for our students and that we're transparent and we're working together to solve problems. In an institution this size, um, there are always going to be situations in complaints and allegations, and we need to do our best to ensure that the grievance procedures uh, are public and students know how to access them. We need to ensure that due process is available. We need to ensure that the responsible employees and the campus security authorities know what their duties and responsibilities are. We need to ensure that uh, students have access to resources. We need to ensure that the policies and procedures are available. So there are a number of different things that we will do, continue to do, but that does not guarantee that at some point someone will not file a complaint or an allegation, but that complaint or allegation does, as you know, does not mean that the university has necessarily violated uh, federal law or any policy. Is there anything in your, your 60 days here on campus that you've looked at that you can talk about that you see that the university needs to change quickly when it comes to Title IX so we can do better? Expanding our education awareness and prevention programs, in particular bystander intervention. I think bystander intervention training is critical to reducing or even possibly eliminating a lot of the harassment and discrimination and misconduct that occurs at various institutions. It's important for us when we see something that we say something, that we intervene, that we speak with our members of our affinity groups and our communities about how we can be part of the solution, uh, that we are courageous enough to step in uh, when we see something happening that's inappropriate and, um, and, and work with um, various constituency groups to try to s spread the message and get more people to get trained around bystander intervention. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Well, thank you for having me. That was Ron Wilson, the director of the University of Arizona's new Title IX office. Much of the public reaction to the proposed changes to Title IX has been negative, but Elise Lopez, the director of the University of Arizona's Consortium on Gender-Based Violence, says it's not all bad. Some of the good things that we're seeing in there are really making sure that there's a fair process, it's uh, making sure that we're giving due process rights to people who are accused of sexual misconduct, presuming their innocence from the very beginning, uh, giving everybody an opportunity to review evidence in the case, and allowing for an appeals process. But there are also some other challenges and with the new Title IX proposal. So some of those are guaranteeing a right to cross-examination. So one of the things we're hearing is that there may be a chilling effect on survivors wanting to actually report, knowing that they could be uh, directly cross-examined, say, by a lawyer for the accused person. 
investigations will be limited to things that happen on campus or in campus related activities. So what that means is that if a sexual assault occurs between two students, let's say in an apartment off campus, even though that sexual assault may have a tremendous effect on the student who was assaulted. They may have to see the person who harmed them every day on campus in their classes. They may be dealing with other things like retaliation uh, if they bring it up. They don't have any recourse under Title IX because it had nothing to do with the campus or a campus activity. The public has until January 28th to make comments uh, on these proposed changes. Do you have any hope that the Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education is who we're talking about here, will listen to the public comment? I like to think that they will. They did do quite a few listening sessions over the last year with different groups, and we've seen how that has actually changed some of the proposals and language that have come out over the last year, but we haven't really seen changes to their language that really deal with some of these core issues of supporting survivors. We're actually seeing a lot more limitations, despite the fact that much of what the Department of Ed has put out has said, we're trying to strengthen Title IX for survivors. Another example of how this might negatively affect survivors is that Title IX will now be limited to incidents to happen to people while they're in the United States. So study abroad, which is a university-sponsored program, if there were a sexual assault or harassment or whatever, it wouldn't be covered then. Exactly. Field activities for folks working outside of the U.S., study abroad, going to an international conference and having something happen there. We're talking with Elise Lopez, the director of the Consortium on Gender-Based Violence at the University of Arizona. Let's look at the University of Arizona when it comes to Title IX. Over six years, there were reports of 16 Title IX violations on the campus, two federal lawsuits right now. Is that average for a university of this size, or is that good compared to other universities, or is it bad? Over the years, we've actually seen reports of sexual assault start to go up at colleges and universities. But from an epidemiological perspective, we see that as a good thing. We know that about one in four college women will experience an attempted or completed rape by the time they get out of college. And when we look at groups such as folks who are differently abled, who have disabilities, uh, folks who identify as part of the LGBTQ population, people of color, also tend to experience sexual violence at high rates as well. So this problem has always been high since the first national study on it confirmed those rates all the way back in the late 80s. And those rates haven't really changed over time. So what's been going on there is that many people are reluctant to report to the criminal justice system or even to campus systems. Over the last few years, as we've seen campuses really starting to look at their Title IX policies, respond more to incidents of sexual misconduct, we're seeing people get a little more confidence in the campus system and being willing to report to it. So that's actually a good thing that we're having survivors come forward and saying, you know what, I, I see this system is there. I think that I can trust it to respond appropriately and help me. I'm going to go ahead and make a report. 
The new Title IX proposal also allows for informal resolution of campus sexual assault and harassment cases, and that's another new area that campuses haven't really ventured into. What's an informal resolution? So formal resolution is the default system that campuses use. It almost mirrors the criminal justice system. A report is filed, an investigation is done, uh, evidence is weighed to determine if there was a violation of the student code of conduct, and then there's a finding of responsibility. If a person is found responsible of perpetrating sexual misconduct, then they're sanctioned by the university in you know, whatever is in their code to be able to sanction them with. An informal resolution, on the other hand, would be a process where you don't go through that formal report, investigation, adjudication, and sanctioning process. So let's say you have a case where a student brings forward a complaint and says, uh, I'm being sexually harassed by this person, or I've been sexually assaulted. And the person that they've accused of that takes responsibility for it. They say, you know what? I did that and I feel so bad about it and I want to know what I can do to make this better. Well, you don't need an investigation and adjudication at that point. You don't necessarily need punitive sanctions for somebody who is willing to take responsibility and make things better. And there are a lot of people who've been assaulted who would prefer a process where They are able to voice the impact of the harm that was done to them. They're able to have a a safe, facilitated dialogue with the person who harmed them and have a say in what a redress plan would look like that's meaningful to them and know that there's accountability for that person to complete that redress plan, to get help, and to not hurt somebody else in the future. However, the process I described for you is what we would call restorative justice. It's based on the idea that harm is done and the person who committed that harm is responsible for repairing it if they're willing to take responsibility for what they did. What Title IX proposes under the current administration's language is informal resolution, including mediation, to resolve sexual assault complaints. Mediation is different than restorative justice. In mediation, people are called disputants. The reason for that is because they're having a dispute or disagreement. So we're not concerned with harm that was done. We're concerned with people who are having a disagreement and a facilitator helps them come to a compromise solution. So mediation really on its face isn't appropriate for sexual assault where there's a clear harm that's been done by one person to another person. So there's a language issue there that I worry about um, because it almost gives the impression that you can sort of sidestep responsibility, have a mediation about it, and maybe come to a compromise of what's gonna happen, but it doesn't really include this important piece of responsibility and accountability. All right, well, thanks for sitting down with us. Absolutely, thanks so much for having me. That was Elise Lopez, the director of the University of Arizona's Consortium on Gender-Based Violence. And that's the buzz for this week. This week, we also talked to UA student body president, Natalyn Masters, about Title IX on campus. Visit our Facebook page to watch the interview. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. 
I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.